Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, John, this week, the big story is labor strife in the world of teachers and the possibility of the first strike in L.A. Unified in 30 years. There's also teacher unrest in districts like Fremont and Oakland in the Bay Area, where teachers are also threatening to strike, although the likelihood isn't quite as strong as it is in L.A. right now. Well, some teachers in California, Lewis, are identifying with the fierce statewide teacher strikes and mobilizations that took place in conservative states, raising the possibility of a similar Red for Ed movement emerging in California. That's the reference to the red T-shirts that teachers wore in places like Arizona, Oklahoma, Colorado, and West Virginia. In addition to L.A., we will also take a look at what's happening in Oakland and talk with Superintendent Kyla Johnson-Tramell about the possibility of school closures in her district. This week, United Teachers Los Angeles announced a strike date of January 10th. That came one day after a three-person fact-finder panel released its report showing administrators and teachers are close to an agreement on a pay increase, but still far apart on other issues like class sizes. Yeah, John, I'm not sure the union would totally agree with you that they're close on a pay raise. I know that was the finding of that fact-finding committee. But uh, there's just a lot of distrust among the teachers and the union of the district's new superintendent, Austin Butner, who the UTLA has really attacked since his first day on the job. You're right. Well, we have on the line Kyle Stokes, a reporter with the Southern California public station, KPCC. Kyle has done a terrific job laying out the issues in L.A. Unified and following the developments there. Kyle, why has this strike seemed inevitable, and then is it? Is it inevitable? Uh, I certainly don't think that it looks good at this stage. You know, obviously with three weeks left to go before this, you know, strike date that's been set by the union and with the union saying that they don't want to go back to the table unless uh, the district comes forward with a much better offer. And therein sort of, you know, you get a hint of the bigger issue that's going on here is two sides that really have fundamental reasons not to trust each other. On the one hand, I think the union for years Years has felt beleaguered by different regimes of education reform that have come in most recently. It's been uh, this sort of perceived threat from charter schools toward both public schools in, in the union's view and to the union's own membership. So they, you know, have a lot of distrust of what's going on, what the district's plans are, mostly because right now the district is led by Austin Butner, who is a superintendent brought in by the school board majority um, intent on kind of shaking up the status quo in the district, and that was sort of the behind-the-scenes rationale given for Butner's hiring, was someone who'd be willing to stand up to the district's establishment, change it so that it, quote-unquote, better or was better oriented towards students, and part of standing up to the establishment, if you're a leader of LAUSD, and that's something you're intent on doing, is uh, confronting the, the teachers' union over issues that get bargained in uh, contract negotiations just like this. Kyle, I just wanted to ask you, what is the mood down there? I mean, nobody really wins in a strike. I mean, for teachers, they might lose a lot of their pay, and parents are upset, kids, some might like being out of school, but very disruptive. How much support do you think the teachers would get if they went out on a strike? 
You know, I don't have a great sense of overall public opinion, but I do hear definite schools of thought that on the one hand, you know, kind of one extreme, the teachers just recently here in LAUSD got a raise of, of uh, 10%. Uh, in their last contract. And so what do they have to complain about? They've gotten a raise before. The raise that is being offered by the district isn't really the biggest point of contention, so it seems they're likely to get another raise. What are they complaining about? Two, on the other end, you know, the teachers are, you know, underpaid and under-resourced, asked to do a really tough job. And I think that there is an element to which, you know, the red-for-ed walkouts that we saw in states like West Virginia and Arizona, that feeling of of support for teachers that exists out there, I do think that that's motivating some teachers here. And I think it's also kind of bleeding over into how some of the public feels about this as well. So yeah, parents are frustrated, but you do hear a certain number of parents who also want to stand in solidarity with the teachers and say they're not going to send their kids, quote unquote, across the picket lines and, and might keep them home from school in the event of a strike. The fact finder's report said that the two sides aren't that far apart over money issues. And if that's true, then, you know, what are the other issues at stake here? The big one is class size. There's this provision in the contract that the union really wants gone. And that provision in the contract uh, spells out that the the district can essentially raise class sizes whenever it wants uh, for, for, you know, quote unquote, financial hardship reasons. So basically, you know, the district has been in financial hardship for a very long time. And so what that's resulted in are class size levels that are much higher than what's actually spelled out in the the sort of grids that, that spell out class sizes in many collective bargaining agreements. In LAUSD, the class sizes are, you know, can be much higher than that. Now, for the longest time, the district resisted getting rid of this provision, saying that, you know, it would be, this was the most costly issue. In fact, it was more costly than the salary increase issue, getting rid of this provision and also hiring more nurses, counselors, and social workers, which are also represented by the United Teachers Los Angeles Union. Now what we've seen is the two sides coming a little bit closer together on this. The district saying that they are open to getting rid of this onerous contract provision, but that doesn't mean an agreement is close. The The union actually felt like the language that the uh, district was proposing to replace this with was actually worse. So that, I think, is, is the biggest sticking point that the two sides mutually acknowledge is something that they have to figure out in the next bargaining agreement. And the state of point of fact finder said that this was an issue that probably the biggest outstanding issue that the two should come to some resolution on. It it definitely resonates with the rank and file. And it's one of the reasons that the rank and file are willing to hold out, even though it looks like they're going to get a salary increase, something like what they were looking for. So Kyle, part of the issue of distrust is how much money there is for a settlement for a deal here. The district says it's quickly running out of money and could be insolvent in a couple years. The The union says, no, you're sitting on nearly $2 billion of reserves. Who is right? 
Well, it's difficult to figure out who's right because both sides have kind of a leg to stand on here. On the one hand, I do think that the union is sort of stretching when they say not only that there are $2 billion in reserves in the district, which is true, but when they go so far as to say that the district is hoarding those reserves and refusing to spend those reserves on kids in class sizes and things like that, you know, I don't think that that's the case. The district says that they plan to spend almost that entire reserve over the next three years and say they, in fact, have to spend that reserve in order to make sure that the district doesn't slide into deficit because LAUSD is spending something on the order of $500 million more each year than it's taking in. On the other hand, the union says, yeah, but you've said that before, and here we are with this surplus. In fact, the district has amassed that surplus over the past couple of years, all while pleading poverty, while saying we are in desperate financial straits, we are approaching the point of insolvency. We've been hearing insolvency talk in this district for many years, and yet none of those dire financial forecasts the district has put forward have actually come true. But you're right, uh, John, it's, it's, a, it's a huge reason for this dispute, the fundamental disagreement over whether that surplus represents a, a huge honeypot that is it's time to, to raid that honeypot and start spending it, or whether it's already actually being spent. The disagreement is just that basic. Well, one thing we know is that LA Unified is no different from any other district. It faces substantial increases in pension costs in the next couple of years as well as special education. But let me ask you, Kyle, the superintendent says, look, I'll pull all-nighters between now and the 10th of January to get this settled. And the union at this point has said, look, uh, from based on the report, we really don't have anything more to talk about. Is there anything going to happen, do you predict, between now and then to get the two sides back talking? It's difficult to predict what's going to happen at this stage in negotiations because I feel like you know, under normal circumstances, you'd look at the facts that are currently in dispute on the some of the mainline issues like class sizes and salaries that you hear a lot about, talked about on the picket lines. You'd look at those those facts and think we're really close to a settlement here. But I do think that there are a bunch of issues that the union really wants a substantive response on. They have been, you know, arguing for more strict limits on standardized testing. They want to give the uh, union members more say over which standardized tests they can use in their classrooms beyond this, the state-appointed ones. And the district finds, you know, asks like this to be non-starters. The fact finder, in fact, said, you know, you guys really have to, like, just sort of punt on a lot of these ancillary issues, what the fact finder would term, you know, kind of extraneous issues, in the name of getting a deal done. But what was made clear by the union at its press conference this week, where they set their strike date, was that they really need an answer on those issues in order to feel like their demands are being at least heard and addressed in a meaningful way. Well, we'll be checking back with you in coming weeks. It's an important issue. The entire state is watching LA Unified to see what happens, not just because of its impact on LA, but on all schools in the state. So thank you very much for your coverage, and thank you for talking with us today, Kyle. You're absolutely welcome. That was Kyle Stokes from KPCC, a public radio station based in Pasadena. Up next, we'll take another look at a district facing a possible labor walkout, Oakland Unified. I do want to encourage those of you listening, if you like what we are doing, if you like this podcast, if you want to sustain our work going into 2019, 
to make a donation to EdSource. And if you do that today, it will be worth twice as much because we are part of an exciting opportunity. It's called the News Match, where several foundations will match whatever donation you make. All you have to do is go to our website. You'll see an invitation where you can contribute, and we would really appreciate your support. In Oakland, the district is under pressure from the County Office of Education to make significant cost reductions to balance its budget. It's also in an intense labor dispute with the Oakland Education Association, which represents all its teachers. This week, we had a chance to meet with Oakland Superintendent Kyla Johnson-Tremell in her office, which is actually just a couple of blocks from where we are here at EdSource in downtown Oakland. We last spoke with the superintendent about 18 months ago on her first week on the job. Since then, Oakland's budget situation has deteriorated significantly, while housing costs in Oakland are going through the roof, which is making it much more difficult for teachers to live here and to make ends meet on teacher salaries. One strategy that's being discussed to deal with a budget crisis is to close some schools. I asked Superintendent Johnson Trammell if that is something she thinks will have to be done. It's a part of what we're having to do. As we're looking at who's living and going to our schools in the next five or 10 years, and we're looking at the enrollment we have, and we're looking at the amount of schools that we can afford to support, and not support just to stay open, but to support and offer quality options for students. We know that we need to reduce the number of schools that we have. Um, as we're moving forward, we're not just thinking about closing schools, we're thinking about the number of shared um, campuses where we have two small schools on one campus and how we thoughtfully merge some of those schools and thinking about where we have small schools um, that have really solid quality programs where we're seeing many families want to attend, where we have opportunities to expand those schools. So we're trying to take a more comprehensive approach where we're really trying to think about at the end of all of this hard, painful um, decisions that we have to make, um, how do we not only have fewer schools, but have fewer schools that have better quality options for students. So um, it's not just about closure, that's one painful uh, component of this process, but it's also looking at where we can have opportunities to think about putting new programs or programs that are already successful, where we're seeing if families can't get into those schools, they're leaving our system altogether, and how we can expand some of those programs so more families can, can benefit from it. We're looking at a new governor, a new state superintendent of public instruction. I think there's a lot of raised expectations. There's some concerns. How much continuity is there going to be with the current reforms, local control funding formula, and so on. Oakland has gotten some help from the legislature recently. What would you be looking to from Sacramento, if anything, with this, this transition to a new administration? When we talk about equity at the state level and how that can support school districts, we know many of the credentialing 
tests that teachers have to take in order to become a teacher tend to create barriers, particularly for many of our teachers of color. And so I think there are opportunities to think about how can we reimagine some of our teacher credentialing processes to continue to hold a standard, but to make it easier so we get a more diverse pool. And I think that's an area where the state can actually have some support and really help districts um, do a better job of figuring out how to recruit a more diverse um, group of teachers who want to um, work in the schools, whether we're talking about residencies and other financial supports to make it easier for teachers to want to come into the profession is another area. And you're I, talking about racially and ethnically diverse so that the absolutely. teaching teaching force matches more the demographics Absolutely. of the student body. Be because for us, there's still a lot of work to do to make sure we have enough African-American teachers and Latino, Latinx teachers as well. Um, and it's something that constantly comes up when we talk to our students, when we talk to our parents, the importance of having a teaching staff that really mirrors um, the, the population that we serve. And I know there are some discussions going on in the teacher credentialing commission along those lines. Absolutely. So in terms of that could definitely be some transformative work, some systems change around really supporting local efforts on the ground to change some of the face of teachers in many of our schools. I don't think you can get away from the fair funding argument and there's a lot of movement around there. Just kind of the base funding to provide a quality education for our students, it's insufficient right now and all of us are struggling with that. So that definitely is an area where the state can help as well as having more support around special education. So there are many areas where, you know, the state can support efforts that districts are making all over, all over the state, particularly when we're seeing some of the same challenges with rural districts and urban districts at this point. That was Oakland Superintendent Kyla Johnson-Tremell. So, John, what do you think is the significance of these labor disputes? Well, I think, Lewis, that they underscore the tensions that are playing out in many districts. Under the new budgets that are coming in the next couple years, districts can expect only cost of living raises, and they have pension costs that are rising, special education. Now, L.A. is distinct. It's, it also has a $15 billion in retiree health benefits that very few districts offer. And another common factor is Los Angeles and Oakland both have a lot of charter schools. Now, we don't want to overstate the impact, but no question that the loss of revenue from student declines in enrollment have affected those districts and others. We have a declining enrollment across the state. You know, another thing that hasn't really been looked at is what impact this will have on the whole reform process. I mean, what is quite stunning is that LAUSD this year is getting over a billion dollars in extra funds to help the district deal with kids who are on the margins, which is the majority of kids in the LA schools. And so with a billion extra dollars, they should not be having this, this kind of budget crisis and to have to make all kinds of cutbacks. And so it really raises questions, how can the local control funding formula be successful if the district like LA, and I have to say similarly Oakland, has to make all these cutbacks when they've gotten additional funds to help them educate kids more effectively. We've talked about this before. The state is underfunding its education. And so at the same time when you're trying to increase teacher salaries in 
high cost of living places like Oakland and Los Angeles, that money has to come from somewhere. And so that's where the tension is with the funding formula, because some of that money is supposed to go to support extra programs and services for low-income kids and foster kids and English learners. And that's where the tension is coming. So when you talk about undermining reforms, that's where the pressure is. Well, we'll be keeping tabs on these labor conflicts, both in our own backyard in Oakland, as well as elsewhere around the state. And that just about wraps it up for this week in California education. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Shuka Kalantari. Our music is from Nate Schwartz, Jazz Orchestra. We also have music from Ed Source's own Justin Allen. If you like what you hear, write us a review on iTunes. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week to take a look back at the events that shaped California education in 2018. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.